1: Wahoo is dedicated to the journey of every athlete, from a sprint to
2: Ironman. Wahoo is with you every pedal stroke, every stride, and every trying moment with the commitment to make you better. As endurance athletes themselves, Wahoo provides an ecosystem of products including Kicker Smart Trainers, Element Bike Computers, and Ticker Heart Rate Monitors to provide exactly what you need to reach the finish line and smash your training goals.
1: And now, the ladies you've been waiting for... Alyssa Gadeski and Haley Chura. Bye for now. <laughs>
2: How's it going this week those things are pretty good I'm like in the thick of training my next race I don't know if I've said this on here will probably be the 70.3 world championships in Nice France so I am like in the thick of 70.3 training and I know we talk a here on here a lot about Ironman training but I will say 70.3 like focus 70.3 training it it's not easy. It's just because it's shorter does not mean it is easier. That is like I I feel that way about everything in life. Well, and I
0: feel like with triathlon because you're swimming, biking, and running. Like if you go to swim, even if you're doing a three thousand yard swim instead of a six k swim that day or something, right? Like you still have to go to the pool chained into your suit like do all those those extra like time sucking things and like driving to somewhere to ride if you need to go execute a certain ride or things like that like that all still stays right so like yeah you do save some minutes maybe in like the grand scheme of volume at times but you're right like and then if the intensity factor is going up because now you're doing 70.3 paces right like that's going to make you more tired than maybe doing another hour at like Ironman pace would have. Right. So
2: that's true. And I don't think I, I mean, my volume isn't a lot lower as I'm training for 70.3 than I am at Ironman. Like I don't do, I mean, I'm not doing a hundred plus mile rides, but my volume is still fairly high, but yes, the intensity factor in a lot of my intervals is a lot harder. And that does require more recovery. It uh, it definitely makes you. I don't know. I I sw- I did um, seventy point three worlds in Vegas in twenty twelve, and it was so hot. And that still to this day might be one of the hardest races I've ever done. And I, think, I raced. I think I did trooper. it that year. Did yeah. you? Was I there that year? I, I don't remember. So. <laughs> you probably were. But um. But was I was it for- the first year in Vegas? No, it was the second year in Vegas. So
0: Oh, okay. I think I was there the first year. Hold on. I'm looking this up really quick. <laughs>
2: Look it up. I it up. was but there. I just wanted to say, yeah. like after that race, I swore I would never, ever use the phrasing just a 70.3 because I just remember being half a mile from the finish and it was downhill and I didn't think I was going to make it. So I don't know. I mean, it, it gave me a lot of perspective and I think that helps me as a coach now too, where I'm you know, it, it's never just, it's never just a 5k. It's never just a one mile run. I'm sure you can make a one mile run extremely painful if you go hard enough. Yeah. And so I was
0: there, I was there in 2011. So we missed each other at that one, uh-huh. but no, I agree. And I think that's an important thing for people to hear too, because I think a lot of time athletes, you know, look at what they want to do and set their sights on certain things. And they think by doing, you know, cause it's, it's very misleading. You think you're doing, you're going to raise half the distance, right? So you want you to assume you'd be doing like half of the training and you'd have more of your weekends free and like maybe more time for family and things like that. But that's not maybe the case too. So for other people, I'm sure are struggling to figure out like how to fit it all in. You know, it's, it's tough.
2: It is tough. And I have respect for everyone at every distance, as long as you're going as hard as you can for that, whatever length of time it is, it's going it's to be hard. hard. So all the respect from me, but how are you? How is uh Charlottesville? Has it cooled off or wait? You were just up in Lake Placid. I totally forgot about that. You told us last I, week. W- yes. I took a
0: little trip up
2: to one of my favorite
0: places. The Adirondacks are just a, it's like very similar to Vermont type of lifestyle and setting and environment and things like that. So I definitely used the excuse to go up there and have a training weekend because I had an athlete who was racing there. I had another athlete who's also my boyfriend racing there. And so that was like the perfect kind of excuse to be able to go up and to make. I actually ended up being gone for about a week because the drive up there, um, I split it in two and actually got to visit my sister on the way up. So I had like a taste actually on the way up there, Haley, of what it's like to train My sister lives in Hoboken, so I was in Hoboken, not quite New York City, but I had to do a couple days in, like, city training environments, and that was interesting. I I don't envy those people, but I do admire the people who get it done in those city situations because... It's a, it's a lot different.
2: (laughs) When you went for a run, did you just run on the treadmill or did you go outside and like have to stop at all the stoplights or did you always just turn right? Like I've, I've run with someone in New York city and she's like, oh no, we always just turn right. And then like when you can cross, you cross and then you get to central park and then you run around central park.
0: So luckily, you know, obviously we knew I was going to be in a new environment one, but also in a new city environment. So we planned training to like accommodate some of that. So the one run I had, I actually, I was running to an orange theory that's there. And so I just knew like I was going to have to be stopping at stoplights and things like that. And then like I I, I did, I found like this flat piece of land that was amazing in the middle of like between Hoboken and Jersey city, I guess. And I just ran like up and down that a bunch of times to get the mileage I needed so that I didn't hit any streetlights and things like that. But it's just so different. Like, and I never had to ride my bike outside. So that was helpful. Um, But it is, it's just, it's just a different, and I'm sure you learn a lot of secrets as you're there. But anyway, so I did that little stop, headed up to Lake Placid, where the training is much, much easier, in my opinion, than in Hoboken. And I got to do a loop of the course, I got to swim in Mirror Lake, and I got to run around the town and all of that sort of thing. A fun fact, Haley, is that They, since I had been there for a big training weekend, I think it hasn't been since like 2013 or 2014 where I was training and racing there a bunch, but, um, they built a pool. And so that was always one thing. So there used to be this pool for like back in the day up at Saranac Lake at this community college. And it had hours between like 10 and two Monday to Thursday. And so it never really was good. And of course, everyone's like, open water, open water when you're there. But yes, like, but sometimes if you're there for an extended time, you want to be able to swim a proper swim set in a pool. And so I was super excited to find out that they had a new facility that had a pool. And it's in like a adjacent to almost like a hospital type of thing. And it's like maybe physical therapy happens there. So I was a little bit weary because it did seem like an older crowd at the gym type of area. And sometimes with those pools... You do get like warmer temperatures, not quite fast pool swimming environment, but this pool and it's only three lanes, but Haley, it's good. Like they keep it cool. It goes to like five feet deep. So it's not like all three feet and it was pretty good. So that was a highlight.
2: <laughs> wow. So if anyone, anyone is planning a training camp up in Lake Placid in the next couple of years, sounds like lots of options for swimming these days. Mm-hmm. And
0: I think though, my favorite part of the whole weekend, aside from getting to watch the race, which is always fun training wise was I had to do a ride. I had a 120 mile ride on my schedule for Saturday. And since I had already done a loop of the course, I didn't really want to just keep looping the course while I was there. I felt like the world was at my fingertips. So I did some internet stalking and I found this massive loop Haley that goes around like the Adirondacks wilderness area. And it, it, it just so happens that that loop is perfect and it was 128 miles. So I got some bonus miles in, but I got to see all of these other places up there that I never had gotten to before. And I just want to say that if someone wants to go to the Adirondacks and do a training weekend, I would heavily suggest training on some of the roads outside of the Lake Placid courses, because I mean, that's a good course and decent roads and all of that. But like outside of that, there were way better shoulders. Like at times, Haley, because the snow, they get up there, I guess the shoulder at times was larger than the actual like traffic lane. Wow. It was crazy, yeah. And it was like really good road conditions. You get some like a lot more rollers than some of the big like extended climbings that you find around Placid. And so I just, you know, 128 miles of solo riding can go either way on like new roads and new territory, right? Like it could be a disaster or it could be amazing. And I have to say it was pretty amazing. And I think I've had athletes race a race called Tin Man like up at Tupper Lake, which is nearby. And that's a half Ironman, I think. And they had always raved about it. And so when I was riding through, I was like, I get it. Um, This seems like the perfect place for a race. So
2: people can always look into that, too. I think that race is in June. Tin Man. That's cute. I like that. Um, Yeah, that was like a ringing endorsement for Lake Placid. Lake Placid, New York. (laughs) Alyssa approved. I know. If the Tourism (laughs) Bureau would like to um, sponsor a professional athlete or a podcast,
0: just reach out to um, Iron Women Podcast. Or at gmail.com, and we
2: would love to chat with you. <laughs> and Alyssa, speaking of that, Iron Woman podcast at gmail.com email address. Do we have any mailbag questions this week? Oh, we do. And
0: actually, this kind of relates to something I mentioned while I was there. So we have a mailbag from Sarah, and I actually know Sarah through my days in Baltimore. So hi, Sarah. Um, she's writing to us with a question about outdoor pool temperature water temperatures. So she lives in Texas now and like pretty much everything else here, some of the outdoor pools are getting really hot. So she thinks easily 84 plus, which is quite rough. So when you're forced to swim outdoors in warm pools, how do you adjust the kinds of workouts that you do in terms of things like workout design, target paces, or expectations about perceived effort or any other tips for swimming in warm pools and how warm is too warm?
2: This is a great question. This is a good question. And this is something that I have struggled with throughout my life. Um, at least my post-collegiate life. I got very, very spoiled in college and was in a amazing facility. And then even after college, when I was swimming at Dynamo in Atlanta, it's an amazing facility there too. And I struggle a lot in hot water and we have an outdoor pool here in Bozeman and it is probably a two minute walk from my home and I don't swim there because Well, one, the hours are terrible and there are no lane lines and there's only like three lanes. (laughs) But beside that, the number one thing that I struggle with there is the temperature. It's, it's too warm. It's probably in that 84 plus. So I, I, I guess I relate in that way where it is. I do think it's really, really hard to get a good workout in. I will say what I have done in other situations when it wasn't quite as bad as one, I bring like three water bottles that were like frozen or like really cold or have really ice cold water. And those are like just spray on my head and my face in between intervals. Um, I think you can adjust the times a little bit, give yourself a little bit slower time, probably swimming shorter things so that you can like cool off and, um, in between is good. And then maybe even structuring your workout so that you're doing harder stuff earlier and then, you know, just kind of trying to get bang for your buck like getting stuff done early because you do tend, or I tend to like heat up as the workout goes on. So trying to get that in. And then if you can swim in the morning, um, it's going to be cooler, at least hopefully, you know, the, the air temperature should be cooler and that might help as well. Yeah. I've had pools where I've had to like hop out, like sit
0: up on the deck in between, you know, and again, like if you're doing a really hard set, you might not even have a few seconds to do that. Right. But If you, if you can get a little bit of a break in between some sets or something to just like literally get yourself out of the water, put the cold water on you, drink the cold water, all of that, it can help. But I agree. I mean, it's tough. Like if that is your only option doing things like all like Haley said, and the only thing I would say too is probably, you know, you could add in, I think maybe some like for the harder stuff, maybe pulling, it keeps your heart rate like a little bit lower because you know, when you do like full on swimming with kicking and stuff like that it's um just a little bit more intense for your body. So you're going to have that much more like exertion with the hot water going on. But I don't know if there have been, you know, everyone says when you're training in this heat and humidity, it's like sauna training, right? Like there's massive, it's like altitude training for, you know, poor man's altitude training. Like maybe, I don't know, at least you can tell yourself that maybe swimming in the warm water is <laughs> a similar effect. And that once things cool down, you'll feel like you know, that works, you know, the work is the work still, right? So if you're working hard, that will translate into some fitness, you just might have to really, you know, try and capitalize maybe on how you schedule really important races or things like that, because it is probably something to keep in mind, you know, and find another pool that has a
3: cooler (laughs) water. And if you
0: do have an, yeah, if you can make an effort to go to any indoor pool, like even just once a week for your really hard swim or something like that yeah. even if it's a bit of a pain to get to that that will help even just like mentally keep you knowing that you're like you know you're still able to sit that hit that hard set in the colder indoor pool like okay like you can swim a couple times during the week in the warm pool and it's it's fine so but that is that's a you know i always I'm envious of things I see when I see everyone swimming in the outdoor pools because generally here I really only have indoor options that are, like, good for swimming. And uh, this is... This is a good thing, I guess. So maybe I won't be too envious of the outdoor swimming
2: situations. Some nice outdoor pools have like chillers. You know, like have you ever seen a nice pool that's like a nice outdoor pool and it has like a chiller? Or they have like the jets of water and they help cool it off. It's amazing. That must be
0: what's in Arizona because when I when I go swim in Tucson in the summers, that pool feels fine. So it must they and they have like these sprays, hoses, like every lane has its own like water feature that's like spraying you. <laughs>
2: what's it called?
0: I don't know. a oh, uh, a spray hose thing. And, anyway, uh, Well, hopefully yeah. Sarah
2: can, has some options, but otherwise, I mean, I think anything you can get in is good and don't swim to the point where you're like getting sick. You know, like, I think that if you had to keep your swim a little shorter and, you know, or maybe do like more frequency, less like big volume kind of thing. And just to try to like get the feel for the water and eventually winter will come. <laughs> And one thing you can also use if you are swimming a
0: lot outdoors is Zelios, Sun Barrier because that's like a very important part of keeping in mind when you are swimming outside. That was like an excellent summer, segue. Warm.
2: I hadn't even thought of that. Well done, <laughs> Alyssa. Right from the outdoor swimming into wear sunscreen. It's only taken me how many episodes to nail a segue like that,
0: right? So that's good. But as a reminder for everyone, it is heating up. Um, I know I was watching a lot of athletes out there in Lake Placid where it was pretty hot and you were at a little bit of elevation. I think they said it was like 1,800 feet of elevation. So the guy on the announcer was like, yeah, you're at elevation. The sun feels hotter here. And it definitely did once he said that, too, no matter what. so um, But but people could have used their Zelios there. Uh, They have a lot of great products, too, for after you're swimming
2: with shampoo, conditioner, and body wash. And, of course, the chamois cream. And you can go to TeamZelios.com and use the code IRONWOMEN for 20% off your purchase. And Live
0: Feisty is continuing to bring you some more great content. Our very own fearless leader, Sarah Gross, has started, if you've been listening to the If We Were Writing podcast, I think she's talked about doing this for a little while and it's finally happening. So we're very excited that this week was the first installment of Sarah's new column called Tales from My Box, and that will be out on livefeisty.com um, every Tuesday, and we'll post about it on the social medias and all that good stuff, too. So you can
2: read from Sarah on Tuesdays now. So this isn't like a subscription. This is just go to the website on Tuesdays or just expect a, a new, um, a new, I guess, column article from Sarah every Tuesday at livefeisty.com. Right. I, th- I thought of installment because I, installment. I, <laughs> I was like, uh, yeah. what, about well,
0: what no, but am I but I didn't listen to that. I had listened to the, the, if we were writing where, and it's fresh in my mind. Cause I like literally just listened to it where Kelly and Sarah discussed this exact
2: topic of what, <laughs> what to call it. So I, so I knew I had it's a an heads installment up on, right? every Tuesday yes. <laughs> if we were at livefeisty.com read Sarah's installment from my box. And we do have a great interview for everyone today. Haley, why don't you tell them who we're talking to? So this week's guest is Amanda Wendorf. Amanda raced the inaugural Ironman Ireland this past June. And if you might've, you might've seen some of the videos, um, that and reports that came out of the race, but it had insane weather conditions, on top of an already very challenging and technical course. Amanda had a fantastic day. She finished third which and landed herself on her very first pro podium. Amanda was a very successful age grouper who decided to start racing, I think, racing pro, I think just about three years ago, um, ultimately leaving her job as a high-powered attorney to follow what I might call a North Star approach to racing that has taken her all over the world. So Amanda will tell us a little bit more about that journey and that was crazy, that crazy day in Ireland right after the break. Hey, Alyssa, have you ever come out of a race with a really bad sunburn? I sure have. My very first Kona, I'll never forget. It was awful. Well, I think I have a product for you. Zelio's Sun Barrier SPF 45 is a zinc based and water resistant sunscreen. It's long lasting oil free and won't sting your eyes. I've used it and it works great. I'll have to try it because I have heard that Zelio's products are designed and tested by champion triathletes
0: like Heather Jackson, Lindsey Corbin, Jesse Thomas, and Rachel McBride. Wait, did
2: you forget someone? Oh, that's right. And our very own Haley Chura. Well, Zelio's products are made with high quality and long lasting ingredients to stand the test of the hottest days, sweatiest training sessions and toughest elements. They give athletes like us confidence and peace of mind to perform at our best without worrying about our skin or hair products. The products you won't want to train or compete without are the sun barrier
0: SPF 45, the Twixt chamois cream, swim and sport shower
2: products and the body lotion. You can use the code IronWomen. women at teamzelios.com to get 20% off. Hi,
3: Amanda. Welcome to Iron Women. Hi, Alyssa. Hi, Haley. Thank you so much for having me. I've, uh, you know, I've been a fan since you guys first started this podcast. so I'm, I'm really excited to be on.
0: Well, thanks for listening, but we're really excited to talk to you all about your last couple weeks and stuff. So first on the docket, of course, is that we want to talk to you about Ireland. So yeah, that day looked absolutely crazy. We know that this one was canceled, but can you tell us more about that morning from an athlete perspective? And like, when did the rain start? Was it raining that whole week leading into it? Like, did you know about this ahead of time so that you were ready with a a lot
3: of gear and stuff? We, yeah, I was there 12 days and we had 11 beautiful days and we had one terrible day. Um, but the whole time the, the forecast was showing that Sunday was going to be just a weather bomb coming and, but it was hard because the Irish are very understated and when something's very, very difficult to them, it's, it's, it's still going to be grand. They kept saying, it'll be grand. It'll be great. Even though they were forecasting basically hundred percent rain, the Irish kept saying it, it'll probably just be a drizzle. It won't be a thing, but, um. I was getting nervous. It wasn't changing. Every day the forecast was getting worse and worse. We knew that it was—I knew that cold was going to be an issue because the water was so cold. It was about, I think, about 56 degrees and we knew getting out that it was going to be, it would be in the fifties for temperature or air temperature. So I've always had that on my radar, that that was going to be a tough transition, just dealing with those temperatures. But then when the rain was added in, it was, just, it was pretty hard to, to assess what that was going to feel like. Cause I've personally never <laughs> been in those kind of conditions for an extended amount of time. So I did, you know, I talked to my coach a lot. We went through all sorts of different wardrobe um, ideas. My transition bag was pretty stuffed full of um, various things that I could have put on. They told us the day before that they were shorten the swim, but they didn't tell us how much. Uh, they said they had a few a few ideas, and we'd find out in the morning when they saw what the conditions actually were. so we were we were ready for that. The rains kind of you know it, I woke up and it was windy um getting but getting to transition, it was just drizzling a little, bit, and we thought, oh, maybe this won't be you know too much of a thing. but um, about a half hour, maybe it was around six o'clock that it just started pouring. The wind was kicking up and the temperatures were pretty low. I would say uh, like high forties, low fifties. So when they announced that there was no swim, no one was surprised. It was, we could look out at the sea and it was, it was pretty bad. So it was just kind of standby for a little while while they figured out the logistics of it all. And then they sent us an to the and said, you know, put on what you're going to put on and get ready for a time trial start. And so we did. And I think... I probably put on more clothes because we had time to think about it than I might have if coming out of the swim. And everybody just made different calls on that. And we were all kind of second-guessing because you really – I don't ride in the rain all that much, and I certainly don't do it for, you know, five hours or, or whatever in, in that kind of cold rain. So I didn't, I didn't know what to expect, but um, layering, we uh, just – They told us we could throw things at the special needs, and they would try to get us us our clothes back if we dropped any layers, things like that. So so we were pretty prepped for what was going to happen, but it's still hard to judge. And
2: we know that bike course got cold, and I think looking at that course, like, even without the rain, it looked like it was going to be a pretty challenging course. And I believe there was actually a video posted that showed, I think it was Brian McChrystal, who was the the pro male who was leading on the bike, who recorded the fastest pro time, who I think is, is from the area. He's Irish. And he actually like got off his bike and ran up one of the hills that like windmill hill, I guess the famous hill. So did you do that? Did you ride the whole windmill hill or, you know, what was this bike course like? Was it super technical?
3: I would say it was, it was fairly technical. Um, I do a lot of my training up in Madison, and it was a, and I thought those they would be very similar courses in terms of the turns. Um, when we got to Ireland, maybe a little more technical than I expected. The roads are really rough. They have a very dip, deep chip steel. I think it's similar to what they might have in New Zealand or something like that. Um, but then also quite a lot of potholes and cracks and things like that. And then the roads, are some of them there were just so narrow, they would almost be driveways so it's a lot of and negotiating um are you riding on the left side when you're used to being on the right side so the couple times that I pre-rode the course I, I wrote pieces of it at a time and I was always a little bit spooked and I certainly wasn't fast and um we knew it was going to be kind of a technical day but the rain added in a lot at Windmill Hill was was way cool and and just kind of uh sadistic in a way they they put that at mile 54 and mile 110 and it's a hill that goes up to um it goes up to and stays at 21 percent for a while and yeah a lot of people i would say a lot of the age groupers walked it even when we were in transition in the morning talking to some of the male pros they were they were saying that was their plan was to walk it the second time i got up at the first time the crowds were amazing it was like being in the tour de france they were you know they were closed right in on you They were four or five deep screaming And um, that kind of got me up, but I I got up and I I was thinking to myself that that was really fun, but that really kind of just killed my legs (laughs) and it took a few miles to recover from that. So I was thinking that mile 110 might be a good time to walk it, but then you kind of, because you come around the the turn, they didn't even let you start at the bottom of the hill. You actually had to make a right-hand turn into the hill as, as it was already pitching up. So it was, um, basically you have to make the call before you even start climbing. Cause you're, if you get off at that point, you're, you're done. So, but the crowds got me up that. So I did climb it the second time and, uh, a little bit slower and a little bit more of doing the, um, you know, the mailbox turn to turn thing to get up it. But, but I did.
1: Yeah.
0: And so at this point now you have survived the bike, you're onto the run. So what was going through your mind at this point? Did you know what place you were in? Did you know, like I mean, I'm sure you knew it was a tough day out there, but did you know how hard the conditions were affecting the other pro women in the field?
3: Yeah, it was tough because it was, you know, it was a looped course, so we didn't get any information or see anybody on the bike. Um, and it was a contrast, so because I really had no idea how things, because I started last and I had passed one gal early on and then didn't see anybody else, which wasn't surprising because it was mostly pretty strong cyclists that chose this race. And I came up on Lindsey Corbin towards the end and she was really struggling with the conditions and you know my heart was breaking for her and you could tell and she just she wasn't right I'm glad she she got through it but I kind of knew at that point that that was uh, it was gonna be really hard for her to, to come back from from how she was but then I got out so I knew I, I was running in fourth and it's a four-loop course so ran the first loop in fourth was pretty happy with that that would be my highest finish in an Ironman, so. I was thrilled with that, and then um, coming around the second loop, at some point I got a lead bike, and I didn't actually even notice her because she came in behind me. <laughs> I didn't know she was there until I, uh, my parents were there. And they were like, "Oh, you got a bike!" And I didn't, I didn't know. And then I turned around, to her. I'm like, "What? What is going on? What position am I in at this point?" And she's like, "You're in third. Someone dropped. So I guess Anya had dropped at that point. So I, I wasn't sure at the time what had happened, but they said." I guess our back was seizing up or something like that, or, or I'm I'm not sure, but yeah, it was uh, one of the most strange kind of ways to find myself in a a third place position there.
2: You never know what's going to happen before you cross the finish line until you cross the finish line. I think that's the lesson many of us has have learned, but what was it? Like you said, you know, this was your first time finishing top three, your first podium finish. What did that feel like? to stand on that podium to like spray that champagne. Was it as much fun as it looked?
3: It it really was. And I was thrilled because I've had a really rough year. I knew coming into this race that I had a good opportunity, um, but I needed, I needed something to kind of keep me going because I basically had, you know, 12 months of just a lot of bad stuff, just making me question whether I, why I was still doing the sport. And um, how much longer I was going to keep it up but I got to Ireland and it was just such a wonderful energy I felt so calm that week of the race because I was just surrounded by such like wonderful people and they made us feel so welcome and uh, it was maybe the most calm and at peace I've been going into an Ironman so moving into kind of a dream position for me was kind of the icing on the cake and it but it felt appropriate in a way and um, yeah it was pretty I was pretty excited. it was a lot of fun and uh, I definitely Kind of, kind of settled I was third place was um unexpected for me and I I will admit now that I didn't really look forward to see if I could try to get second place because that because third had seemed so I don't know maybe out of my reach that I didn't even continue looking forward so that's you know one lesson I take away but um no I was absolutely thrilled and that town was so supportive ever you know, the fans on there even in that terrible terrible weather they were lining the streets and they were they were just absolutely amazing I've seen
0: nothing but rave reviews coming out of that race. So I think everyone had kind of similar experiences as you with the town and the atmosphere there. And it really has made me kind of want to go try it out. So I think a lot of people might be might be heading over to Ireland in the next few years. But, you know, I was looking at your Instagram, actually. And after capping off your Ironman training block for this, you did describe a day where you got caught in the rain You had temperatures that were plummeting. And so, you know, while you might not train in the rain a lot, at least you got at least one day kind of in those conditions. I think one of your training buddies was even doing push-ups to try and stay warm that day. So do you think that day and other training days when you've had, like, less than ideal conditions, did you have a moment in Ireland where you were like, I've done things that are harder than this or tougher than this. Like, I have the toughness to get through it. Like, what did you draw upon when things were just so crazy, it seemed pretty, you know, like no one would blame anything, anything on, you know, if you got too cold or you just didn't want to continue in conditions like that. Like, what was it that had you prepared to keep going?
3: Yes, when I, I did kind of draw on that day, and it was, it was kind of a strange little premonition that I thought to put that up on my Instagram account because it was a, a training day last summer um, when I was out in Colorado, and we had started, it was. Uh, like 93 degrees in Boulder when I left and we climbed up into the mountains and you know, there's always going to be huge um, temperature swings there, but we got caught in the rain. So it went basically a 40 degree swing where we were worried about hyper hyperthermia at the bottom and then hypothermia at the top. And we thought we had to stop. We couldn't get, we had no cell receptions. We couldn't get a pickup. We had to just kind of find ways to stay warm. And then eventually we found a campground that had a sign for for showers. (laughs) We each paid $5 to take a hot shower just to warm up so that we could finish that ride. And I think we, some of the pictures are like <laughs> you were sitting there with eating like a box. I was eating a box of cookies and we're in front of the sign that says like hot showers and just kind of trying to wait out the rain so we could finish the ride. And but, yeah, you, all those days, we have those epic days. I just had one yesterday here in Madison where it was the same thing where the rain just came down and it wasn't expected and just had to find a way to to get through. And and that's what Ironman is, is just finding a way things aren't going to work out. And, and this race underscored that for me, that nothing ever goes according to plan. And that's kind of the beauty of Iron Man is finding a way to adapt and readjust.
2: And Amanda, you you kind of mentioned – your previous, you know, 12 months or so had been, had been a little rough leading into this race. I believe at Chattanooga 70.3, which was just, you know, a month before you were unable to finish due to a mechanical issue, your post-race reflection on Peru 70.3, where you finished seventh, seemed like you were a little underwhelmed by your own performance. And then I think, I believe you had some issues with injury in 2018. So like, do you think maybe the silver lining of all of those hard you know, those really hard things that you had to go through talking about having to figure, figure, find a way to take showers, to warm up on this ride, like things like that made you, uh, you know, extra ready for a race like Ireland, where you'd be thrown into a situation where you have like so many issues and then you end up on the podium.
3: Yeah, I think it's a, it's a good analogy. Um, 2018. So it was about, about this time last year, I had a really bad bike crash and I, and I had like great three separation on my shoulder, which is I tore three ligaments. So that happened. And I was still wanting to do Ironman Wisconsin, which was my goal race for the year. So I I got myself on the trainer. I was out walking a ton. You know, I got back into the training, but then, um, 10 days before Wisconsin, I was diagnosed with mono. So then I had to pull out of that. And then I kind of got myself going again and I raced Waco, but I tore, tore my, uh, planter plate in my foot during that race. And then I tried to do another race and my, you know, my aero bars dropped down. I was having a great ride and then they dropped and um, I had to you know, wait for 20 minutes to get that. It was just like one thing after another, after another. And we just kept saying, you have to move forward. And that's what my coach kept telling me. He's like, just keep moving forward. And and um, even right before Chattanooga, I had gotten some medical stuff where they were, were questioning whether I still had the mono. And that was another thing where... Everything was saying, you know, stop, sit on the couch, you you just be done. But I needed to just keep moving forward. And that was exactly what happened in Ireland, too. Things were going wrong, but it was just about just keep putting one foot in front of the other and moving forward and you never know what's going to happen.
0: And kind of looking back, you know, like you have posted on social media pretty recently that you actually stepped away from social media for a little bit. And I think it kind of involves some of these struggles that you had. And you kind of just mentioned to, you know, your followers that you needed a bit of a break and you needed to be kind of away from social media for a little bit. So, you know, I guess looking back now, do you think there's something that you could tell others to help them like break the cycle maybe, you know, faster than you did or like You know, how did that kind of that break in that step away for your mindset? Like, how did that help you come back, obviously, stronger than ever?
3: Sure. I think social media is is wonderful and and horrible in the same way. And we all know it's a highlight reel. I I really struggled with trying to keep a positive face when I wasn't always feeling positive. And and it was kind of exhausting for me also to see other people having, um, you know, they were having good times and I was happy for them, but it was also hard when I'm struggling at the same time. And I just kind of need to step away from everything and focus on myself and get back to the basics and um, just get back to swimming, biking, and running and why we started this in the first place and not worry about what other people thought. I worry about that a lot. I don't know if I'm the only one in that. I don't think so, but I that was always in the back of my head. Or, or do people think it's it's stupid that I'm doing this? You know, have I have I thrown away my real career? Have I done this? Or is it silly for me to be continuous or do people think it's silly for me? And, and that was just not a productive thought to have in my mind. So I stepped away. I was staying with family for a little while. Just I just didn't want to compare myself to anyone anymore because it it, it wasn't productive. And I think that's, um, I've gotten back on social media because I enjoy the connection and I love, there's a lot of inspiration out there. And in my hard times, I've I've been very inspired by other people who have gone through their struggles and been open about it. I think, I mean, Haley, you're an example I followed when you, um, you know, you got, you had your accident with the car and then came back from that. And I know it wasn't an easy easy path, but those sorts of, um, journeys, people see those, even if you don't realize that they do, you know? And, and so that's, that's the positive side of social media. And that's why I haven't gotten completely off of it. But the negative is that I think it can really create some feelings of inadequacy or or doubt, or questioning, or comparing, and um, those aren't always the best thoughts to have in your mind when you're trying to come back from something, so I guess that would be my advice, is to look at everything uh, with a critical view, and realize that it's a highlight reel, and to people on social media, I'm at least inspired by vulnerability, truth, and and people kind of putting their stories out there, because I find the stories far more compelling when they they show the ups and downs, and especially the downs in some way, because we do all have them. We
2: do all have downs, and Amanda, I will say that you and I did share in 2016 after Coeur 70.3, like we shared a little moment afterwards and it, you made me feel really good. I was struggling. That was my first race back after, you know, coming back from injury. And, and I was, I was struggling a bit and you were very kind. So I appreciate you saying that. And then, but I also wanted to kind of elaborate on that a bit, because when I was coming back, one of the things I did in 2017 was kind of Go on a world tour because I was, you know, I didn't know what my future was in the sport, and I was like, I need to go see these amazing places. And I think you kind of did something a little bit similar this year. Yeah. You faced Boucane, and then yeah. Ireland had to be on there. Like, I mean, what do you think about that approach?
3: Yeah, that was. I was inspired by you because I remember we were talking, and you said you were going to go to Iceland. I think right because you were like, yeah, oh, I'm getting yeah. cool places, and, and Iceland is pretty amazing. I, I stopped there to train a little bit a while ago. Um, but yeah, I did the same thing. I, I um, went to Chile, uh, in January and I was not fit at all, but it was kind of like, I used that as the end of my 2018 season, essentially took a little break after that and then jumped into 2019. But I, I was like, I'm doing this. And at the state I was in or or am in, I was like, I'm not going for podiums or winning or anything like that, but I'm going to see the world. And that that's been wonderful. <laughs> it really has. That brings back the enthusiasm for the sport. And, and it kind of was my approach to being a pro in the first place because I, I turned pro a little later. I started doing these travel races pretty early on in my, in my pro um, career, if you want to call it that, just because that was, that was part of the drive for me to do it in the first place.
0: And so, Amanda, have you, you know, as a pro, we obviously all have to stay. Well, we don't have to, but it's encouraged to be on social media, to be getting a following, you know, to get sponsor news out there and things like that. So have you found kind of a balance? Like, have you found any ways to change your approach to social media over the last few months? You know, is there a different way that you look at it now?
3: I do. And, and it's kind of goes back to what I was saying of maybe showing a little more vulnerability. I know it's important for sponsors. That hasn't really been my focus. I, I kind of stepped back from that this year too, because I found that a little more stressful than, than it was worth, um, in terms of what I was getting for the payoff, but I do really like social media in terms of, um, you mean, wait? Connect-
0: you mean sending emails to get not a lot of responses is it? <laughs> brings <No>. on stress. <laughs>
3: It was just, uh, yeah, and, and I kind of felt... when I We all have, know that
0: feeling, so yes, I can uh, I
3: can be with you on that. I don't know if anyone else has felt this, but I felt like whenever I would have a bad result, I just felt like I was letting a lot of people down that had been kind of like, coming to bat for me, and it was a tough feeling to, to feel like that, and, and so I kind of reassessed whether it was uh, it was really as, as much of a payoff as, uh, as it was worth in, in that regard, but I like it for... Um, I coach, and, and with my athletes, I found that they seem to really respond... When I tell the whole story and when they see that, even though I'm racing in the pro division, I'm having the exact same struggles that they are, it seems to resonate more. It makes me closer to them. And, um, I think it makes them trust me a little bit more. So, so I kind of look at it as a tool in that regard as well.
2: And Amanda, you kind of alluded to your quote unquote real career. And (laughs) I believe like you were actually, you're a, you are a lawyer and you actually went to, you are a graduate of Harvard Law School. And I think that does deserve some weight because I think you're the only person I've ever met who is a graduate (laughs) of Harvard Law School. I mean, it's super prestigious. And okay, our first question related to this was, did you ever have presidential candidate Elizabeth Warren as a professor while you were at Harvard?
3: Uh, You know, this has come up a few times. I did not have her as a professor because she was teaching a class that um, I wasn't all that interested in. But She was the reason that I went to, I will say that she was the reason I went to Harvard Law School because I got in and they had an admitted students weekend and they had her as a guest professor and she did a mock class. And I've met a lot of really exceptional people, but there are maybe three or four that I can say when I was in their presence that I was just completely blown away by saying, this is an exceptional human being. And like, you know, the smartest person in the room. And she was one of those. And I was so incredibly impressed by her that I'm like, sign me up. I'm signing the line. I'm coming to Harvard. So she was also, she was known as a professor who would take nothing. She would take no bullshit, like none at all. And if you didn't, if you showed up to her class unprepared, a lot of the other professors would kind of let it slide. But if you, if she called on you and you said, "I'm, I'm not prepared. I haven't read the case. She would say like, oh, we'll wait. And he'd sit there for 18 minutes. There's this person sitting there trying to read this like complex bankruptcy case so that they can <laughs> answer her questions. And so she had that reputation of she was not going to take any nonsense whatsoever, but whip smart and, and just a really cool woman. So it's been it's been neat seeing her evolution as a candidate or as a I, as a senator as well. I've, I've watched pretty closely. I, I like the direction she's going right now. So we probably not, weren't supposed to get super political here, but. But yeah, that was my, uh, no, was my I think Elizabeth Warren.
2: I think it's fascinating. I mean, again, you're the only person I know who's gone to Harvard Law School. You might be the only person I know who actually like kind of as knows a presidential candidate. So <laughs> we have to talk about that. But going back more to you, you know what was that like to go to Harvard Law? What was it like to work as a you know in a, you know work in law and then that transition into triathlon? Like how did that come up? Yeah, it was.
3: They weren't coexisting at all. When I was in law school, I was I was um, very focused on school. Um, I did do a little running. I ran I ran a couple of marathons just kind of for sanity. But I was I was not training for them by any means. I was just kind of going out and running. And I did the Boston Marathon because it was right there, so I, I checked that one off my list. Um, but then when I graduated, and for the first you know six years or so after I graduated law school, I was working for big law firms. I worked for a huge law firm in Chicago for a few years. And then I switched to um, a smaller firm that was doing the exact same work. It was essentially a spinoff of, of one of those big firms. Um, so I was doing corporate litigation and it was so intense. It took over my life. I was not healthy yet, by any means. I, I was pretty overweight. I We would get dinner if we stayed past 7 p.m. and that was, you know, every night. So it was always eating, eating like takeout dinners every single night. I, the extent of working out that I did was I would go to one spin class on a Monday, like once, once per week. So I was living that life and it actually, it was just taking over. I was so involved and invested in my career um, that I kind of lost sight of everything else. And I would sleep in my office. That happened a lot of times. Like I would just basically spend the night on the floor in my office and take a nap and then get up and work for another hour and then take like a 20 minute nap and do that through the whole night. And I started kind of having some health problems with that. The stress was just out of control. I got a, I had a migraine that was mimicking a stroke. So I could, I, I lost my ability to speak and I was like, you know, 28 years old. So That was the kind of stuff where those were eye um, situations. And I'm like, this is not sustainable by any means. So I joined a triathlon group in the city just to have an outlet to do something else. And I told my boss at the time, I was like, we would, we would meet as a group from, um, like six to eight, three times, a three times a week or so. And I was like, I just need those two hours. I'm like, I'm going to go, I'll come back to the office, but I'm, I need my, my few hours a week to go train with this group. And they were cool about it. And then, um, I did steelhead 70.3 was my first, that was what we were training for with that group. And it went, it went pretty well, <laughs> but I mostly just kind of got addicted at that point. And then it started it started spinning and um, triathlon became a little bit more compelling to me and the balance started to, to tip in that direction a little bit more and more over time.
0: And as it became more compelling, you definitely got more competitive at it as well, because by 2014, you were the overall amateur female champion at Ironman Arizona. You won your age group at 70.3 world championships. And then in 2015, you were third in the age group at Ironman world championships in Kona. So Was going pro like on your radar at that point or was it well before and you were kind of working out a plan to go pro for yourself? What was that decision like?
3: It it was a long decision. It wasn't really on my radar for a while. I think I qualified in 2012 for the first time and I had no idea. Someone told me after the fact, I was like, well, that's funny because that's not ever happening. And then 2014, when I um, won my age group at 70.3 worlds, that was, it was a big surprise. But that's when it started to kind of enter my mind that, that, that maybe making that jump up to pro would be um, an idea worth considering. And, but then I went to Kona that year and I collapsed at mile 11 on the run. And um, I needed to master that race. So, so I had thought about maybe making the jump at the end of 2014. But when, um, when Kona happened, I knew I had to go back and, and try again. So I, I pushed it out another year and raced another year as an amateur with the idea that if I could master Kona and my idea of mastering Kona was crossing the finish line, it really wasn't like, I didn't have any real, real goals for anything beyond that. Um, that then I would consider making the jump at that point.
2: And when you made this jump, I mean, when did you kind of switch gears in your career? I, Cause I can't, I mean, I can imagine like I know what my bosses thought of when I walked away from public accounting. And and again, I did not go to Harvard Law. (laughs) So (laughs) I'm just like, I'm really curious about what that transition was like. And was it hard?
3: It was hard. It was gradual as well. I went from um, the firm that I was initially at downtown where I was working all night. And I kind of, I knew that I needed to start finding balance. And they were very, very understanding for a while. I took Wednesdays off for a while to go train. And they were cool with that over time. They were slightly less cool with that. Um, and then I switched to a different firm where the idea was that I was going to be part-time. So basically doing two to three days in the office and then working from home the rest of the time. And I was with them for a couple of years. So that was actually my, um, my last two years as an amateur and my first year as a pro, I was down to more part-time lawyering. I'll be honest that it wasn't, As interesting of work by any means, and I I wasn't as as into it, and I wasn't as passionate about it. So, but it was kind of a means to means to an end. And even working part time as a lawyer is still pretty full time in a lot of ways.
2: So it's, it's, but yeah, I just went from like full time. You you get to go home sometimes. Is that like part time is
3: like? (laughs) Okay. And they were very they were very understanding. I had I was basically working with one guy, and he was he was all into this idea. They really liked it. You know, the triathlon thing. And they're like, we want to help you. And he gave me quite a lot of flexibility. And I did that through my first year as a pro where I was still working at that firm and with him. Um, but in time I felt, I just didn't feel like I was doing my best at any of the things that I was trying to do. Cause I was coaching. I was picking up some coaching at that time. I was training, I was lawyering, and I felt like I was giving kind of 50% to all of those. And that didn't feel quite right to me. So um, I finally made that call I think it was shortly after Coeur d'Alene maybe when we talked Haley because you were talking about when you went in to to tell your boss you were done and um and how he just kind of knew. <laughs> and I think yeah. my boss was kind of I was like we need to talk I didn't actually I told him over the phone which was kind of a little bit of a coward's way <laughs> but I was still in Coeur d'Alene and I called him and I like we, we need to talk he's like you're done aren't you <laughs> I'm like yeah I'm done I need to I need to step back from this for a while
0: I feel like they always know secretly (laughs) when the call is coming, right? And since you've gone full-time pro, we talked a little bit about your world tour of racing. But I think I've also seen you kind of do like a little maybe domestic U.S. tour for training and living and stuff. So... Have you found like your perfect spot for the triathlon lifestyle? Because, you know, you are kind of based out of Chicago, I think, which, you know, I guess Stark, you might say it's that, that it's a pretty decent spot for triathlon, but it's not something that you hear a lot of people kind of <laughs> raving
3: about. So, you know, have you found your favorite spot? No, I've been nomadic. And I think part of that is because I haven't really found my perfect spot. Chicago has, has kind of the base and the, um, the support system. Um, but the training's the training is not ideal at all. Starkey's hardcore, you know, he's out there all winter on his, on his fat bike or whatever he's doing, but that, that's not me. It's, it's not ideal for training at all. I've spent a lot of time in Colorado and I'm going to go back out there at the end of the month. Um, I, I am pretty inspired by the training out there. The altitude sometimes is difficult for me. So I kind of have to manage that and make sure that when I go, I'm, I'm healthy and I have my iron stores in the right place and all of that. And, but then I've, I've I think the perfect spot might be Madison, Wisconsin in the spring to fall. So that's kind of where I've ended up because it's like a two hour, it's where I am right now actually, but it's a a two hour drive or so from where I live in Chicago up to Madison. And I spent basically every weekend of the spring going into Ireland up here in Madison training on that course and in the, in the surrounding areas. And if they could just somehow get rid of the winter, it would be perfect.
2: I think Alyssa's with you on, on Madison. I have never been to Madison. I don't know how this is possible, but everyone raves about that place. I it do love just Madison. A yeah.
3: yeah. is just fantastic. The riding is really good. Um, they have a lot of lakes, this woman, it's, it's a pretty ideal place.
0: Except for the yeah,
3: winter. I, <laughs> except for the winter. Yeah.
2: <laughs> you just need good clothes. But, um, no, I do think I like the, I mean, I can, I can relate a little bit to the Chicago piece. Not that I've really spent much time in Chicago, but sometimes there is something about like having that, you know, that group, that vibe, that, you know, that kind of those supporters around you, even if the training isn't perfect, having those people that you get to see every day who make the, you know, the trainer rides really fun, that Mm -hmm. that can be really important as well. But it's cool that you get to kind of move around a little bit. What about favorite racing now that you've, you've been all over, do you have a favorite race? Well, I would, I would have
3: said Ironman Wisconsin, even though I haven't raised Ironman Wisconsin since 2012. I've been there, uh, every year, except for the two years that I did 70.3 worlds as an amateur. I'm always up there cheering. Um, I've moved like hell in high water. I think I left my sister's wedding like at night so that I could get to, uh, to Madison the next day to watch the race. But, um, so that, I would say that was my favorite. I think Ireland might've taken the, taken the crown on that one though. And that was, um, more than just because it was a, it was a good day for me, but it was just the whole vibe of, of that day and the people, um, and the way they supported it. That one became, became a favorite as well.
0: And Amanda, now that you've had a taste of the podium and you've stood up there, <laughs> are you hungry for more? What's next for you?
3: I'm, I'm absolutely, uh, for sure. You're hungry for more. Um, and I feel kind of rejuvenated cause you know, I finally got that thing that made me feel like it was worth continuing. So and Ironman, I still don't feel like I've completely mastered. That was a great day in terms of um, being gritty and and uh, and tenacious or whatever. But it wasn't a fast day, and it wasn't a fast run by any means. So I, there's still a lot to – I still have some big goals of um, things I'm trying to master in, with that race. So we're kind of seeing right now how the next few weeks go, and I might jump into Mont and then I will probably be at Ironman Wisconsin. I think you will be too, so that will be fun. Yes. And But I'm also – Toying with the idea of maybe doing whales instead. So those are those are the two that I'm thinking about. but i I have I feel like I have unfinished business at the Ironman distance. So for the rest of this year, that's kind of what I'm focused on.
2: Well, Amanda, thank you so much for coming on the show today. We will be sure to link to all your social media in our show notes so our listeners can follow you when you are healthily posting. So we can see that, you know, the whole story you've inspired me. I mean, I can, I can always do a little bit better job of telling the whole story. So thank you again for sharing, um, you know, the stories about Ireland and everything. It's again, even with those crazy conditions, it's, it's kind of on my radar now. I'll put that, I think like a lot you of people, if
3: you want to, if you want to, uh... Come let me know because I I feel like I'm friends with the entire town now and they're all like, I know who would be happy to have you. They, they were yeah, friends. there were like pictures of you like
2: pouring pints of Guinness and you got like a certificate, right? You got, you're like a special yeah, like
3: we with. I feel like I was a local at the pub across the street. And I would walk in and they're like, oh, hey, Amanda, welcome back. And they let me pour Guinness. (laughs) And it was just like. 12
2: days. 12 days and an Ironman podium. That was all it took for you to be like adopted. Yeah. (laughs) But very cool. We'll recover well. And we look forward to seeing you on some start lines later this year. Thank
3: you so much, ladies.
2: Haley, do you know what our most popular Iron Women episode has been so far? I do, Alyssa, because you know I love the numbers, and it goes back to fall of 2017 when we interviewed exercise physiologist Stacy Sims. You are right, and do you know what Stacy Sims has been up to these days? I've heard she's working with Noon Hydration to help formulate some products that... Have the female endurance athlete in mind noon hydration products have clean quality
0: ingredients and are also non-gmo project verified which means top quality ingredients for your
2: body and the planet noon hydration offers a range of hydration products for all your workout and recovery needs my personal favorite is noon sport fruit punch flavor what's yours Alyssa? i like the noon sport in the grape flavor and our listeners can go to
0: noonlife.com And shop with a 30% off code of IRONWOMEN to find out their favorite flavor. And don't forget to let us know. That's noonlife.com with the code IRONWOMEN for 30% off. Haley, fun extra bonus fact about Amanda is that I really attempted to dupe her into my 128-mile ride in Lake Placid. And she politely got out of it and said she was going to do the q t two systems ride instead.
2: Alyssa, in all fairness to Amanda, if you would ask me to ride one hundred and twenty eight miles with you this weekend, I probably would have told you I was on the dynamo ride of one <laughs> and <laughs> said, and politely, I might not have been as polite as Amanda, but um yeah, 128 miles, I'd have to be in a special mood for that. On certain days, on certain days I would maybe be up for it, but you know, you have to pick and choose those days. So well done, Amanda. Avoiding the peer pressure and uh, continue to follow your own plan. <laughs>
0: and Haley, that's just about everything we have this week, but a continued reminder to everyone, you can continue to support our content that we're bringing you week after week with the Live Feisty brand, the podcasts, the columns, the all of the information, everything. The installments. The installments. We also have installments now. <laughs> and you can do that by going to patreon.com forward slash livefeisty and checking out how to become a member of our community.
2: And thank you to everyone who already has joined us. We really appreciate your support. All right, Haley, I'll talk to you next week.
1: Bye, Alyssa. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Please subscribe, like, and comment on iTunes. My favorite podcast hosts are Alyssa Gadesky and Haley Chura my favorite editor is aaron hamilton the iron women podcast is a live feisty media production we want to thank our sponsors and partners noon hydration wahoo fitness zelios fen coffee FTC nutrition and smash queen